Tonight's scripture reading comes from the book of Luke, chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Now as they went on their way, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to get Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. One thing is needful. Mary has chosen the good portion, which shall not be taken away from her. The word of the Lord. Uh, just preliminarily, I guess you would say, I just um, I just dropped my daughter off at the St. Croix Girl Scout camp this last week, and um, wait, let me interrupt myself here for a minute. Um, when I became a preacher, I sort of took this vow myself that I would never actually use my kids as an illustration in a sermon or use sports metaphors. Um, I would never use my kids because um, my dad is a Baptist preacher, and he used me as an example a lot. I wasn't usually playing the Jesus role. Um, And then also, I'd never use sports metaphors because I don't really understand sports that much. So, Um, So this isn't part of the sermon, is what I'm saying. This is just like a... A story, I was there dropping her off, and it reminded me of when I was in junior high and went to the St. Croix Girl Scout camp. <laughs> Which, no, they, you know, they, I think they rented out for people who aren't Girl Scouts. This was actually the um, all-city student council camp. So um, people who had been elected student government officials, I guess you could say, um, went there and you got trained and then... There was all kinds of, there was like, you could run to be the president of the all-school city council or whatever. But anyway, the only reason I was there is because um, my friend, Paul Bradley, he was running for president of the student body, and I was like his right-hand man. We were like best friends, you know, like we stayed for like from sixth grade to like ninth, we stayed over each other's house almost every night. We just were always together. We always hung out, and I thought he was so cool. He, um, he could play the guitar really great. He could play um, the piano. He had um, an Ibanez Iceman. I know, that's a cool guitar, isn't it? Yeah, um, if you're into Kiss. Um, but it was like, I thought it was very cool. Um, but so he, I helped him run his campaign and did everything I could cause, so he could win, and he totally won. Um, student council president, and I was so thrilled, he was so thrilled, and then you know what he did, because he's the kind of guy he is? He found this obscure rule that the president of the student council um, is able to appoint a parliamentarian. So, he appointed me the parliamentarian, so I was on the executive council, so I could go to St. Croix Girl Scout camp um, for the student government camp, and we went there, and we did, I don't know, we did skits and stuff, and um, we, there was a dance, and then there were some kind of meetings or something 
which I don't remember those. But, um, but then at the end, all during this week, you were supposed to, if people, if they wanted to run for all school student body president, you could, you could. And I was like, Paul, you should totally run. And he's like, I think I'm going to run. And I'm like, I'll be your campaign manager. And he's like, I would love if you were my campaign manager. And I can be clever, you know. Um, so I came up with clever slogans and, um, we worked really hard and talked to people. And so the morning after breakfast, they had the elections. And this is unbelievable. It came down to an absolute tie between Paul and this one other girl, Jenny Komorak. So they did a runoff. But everyone's saying, who's going to change their mind? I mean, you were a Paul person or you were a Jenny Komorak person. And everybody's trying to debate and get people in there. Finally, we're going to vote again. So everybody's got their secret ballots. And you go up there and you mark it and you put it in the box. And right before I put it in the box, I vote for Jenny Komorak. And Paul loses. I didn't even think about it. I just did it weird. Now the sermon starts. Martha, nobody likes a tattletale. Nobody likes a tattletale, a fink, a narc, a rat. Your mom and dad don't like it. Guido and the boys don't like it. Jesus doesn't like it. But why? You know, you think that any information on some breach of the rules or norms or some injustice would be appreciated if it was reported. You know, you'd like you'd think your mom would want to know if your little brother was sticking a stick of butter into the sugar and eating it like a banana. <laughs> but you know, telling on someone just never goes over that well. Why is that? You know, the meaning on the surface of this text, this Mary and Martha text, this infinite Mary and Mar infamous Mary and Martha text, um, always makes me feel good about myself. This surface meaning. It makes me feel like justified, you know, you could say. Because you know what? I am Martha. I am no Martha at all. I am not distracted by the everyday tasks. I mean, like doing the dishes or cleaning the bathroom. I rarely get to mowing the lawn or putting my clothes in the hamper. And you could ask anyone who's lived with me. They could give you a complete list. I'm no Martha. Mary whines to Jesus, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Jesus responds, Martha, Martha, I mean, is Jesus shaking his head, like, patronizingly? Martha. There is only need of one thing, and Mary has chosen the better. Man, that's got to hurt. That has really got to hurt. I mean, you can almost see Mary turn and stick out her tongue when Jesus isn't looking, and Martha turning red. You know, aside from my adolescent projections on this text, the meaning is clear, right? Don't be distracted by the mundane tasks of everyday life. But instead, sit with Jesus 
Listen to Jesus, for he has the words that lead to eternal life. Another thing that's interesting that's also implicit in this text is that Mary and Martha are being treated as disciples of Jesus. I mean, if you change Mary and Martha for James and John, it becomes very clear. Jesus is teaching them in private. They're not part of a big crowd, but part of this inner circle. And I could go off on all the cultural mores that might be responsible for all the many women in the gospel not being included on the official disciples list. Like, come on, the Marys and the Martha get so much more play than uh, Bartholomew. You know, do you know the great stories of Bartholomew in the Gospels? Or did, what about the other Judas? I mean, I mean, you know, really about the other Judas, son of Jane. The one Judas, sure, but the other Judas? But no, Mary, Martha, they're all through the text. And Jesus treats them like disciples. They look like disciples in the Gospels, but they don't get on the official list because I think it's because they're women which is kind of infuriating, but I'm being kind of pushed or pulled in a different direction with this text. Like, because I'm thinking about this. Is Jesus really calling people from doing their domestic duties in favor of a life of contemplation at his feet to meditate on his words? That seems to me to be sort of like a reading of privilege or for the privileged. I mean, a single parent or a subsistence farmer is very distracted by the work of everyday life. Not only distracted, like harried, like overwhelmed, exhausted, they have no choice. Someone has to feed the kids, someone has to make sure there's a crop, someone has to make sure there's clothes to wear. I mean, if I can just sit at Jesus' feet and not worry about who's putting a meal on the table, that means that I have somebody doing it for me. So I think Jesus must be responding to something else here. So between the time that um, Mary is sitting and listening to Jesus and the voice of God earlier telling Peter, James, and John, this is my son, my chosen, listen to him, a chapter earlier, the disciples have done several things. They've responded to um, Jesus telling them, let my words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is going to be traded into human hands. They respond to that by getting in an argument over which of them is the greatest. They have also, right after that, um, told on someone who was casting out demons in Jesus' name, who wasn't part of their gang. So, like, when you see all these examples of these disciples in conflict with each other, trying to decide who's the greatest or who's one of us, all these examples uh, of the disciples in rivalry, and then you look at this Mary and Martha story, you can see that it's just another in a series of instances of Jesus' disciples in rivalry. It's Martha's rivalry with Mary that Jesus is responding to. Not that she's making dinner. It's Martha's rivalry with Mary. The rivalries that we live in are the things that distract us. Living our lives in competition with, in opposition to, in judgment of institutions and individuals keeps us worried and out of earshot of the words which lead to the fullness of life. 
to the kingdom of God. Jesus calls us out of all rivalistic relationships and into the kingdom, which looks like sitting at the feet of God and listening. I mean, we can still attend to our daily demands, but maybe without seeing ourselves as victims of someone, without muttering curses under our breath at some other, holding on to some bitterness or blame. I mean, we can still be in the kitchen and listen to Jesus. I think his voice is loud enough for us to hear from in there.